This is the Westwards podcast, a fortnightly production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. Western Sydney is located on the traditional lands of the Darug, Gunungurra and Tharawal nations, and we acknowledge and offer our respects to all Indigenous people and to their Elders past, present and emerging. Opinions and views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the Westwards organisation. If you'd like to ask questions, offer feedback or simply learn more about what we do at Westwards, please visit westwards.com.au. All right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Westwards podcast for Monday the 18th of May 2020. I'm your host James Roy and I'm the Blue Mountains and Blacktown Program Manager for Westwards. In case you're new to the podcast, this is a fortnightly roundup of news, views and interviews from Westwards and we're a Western Sydney Literature Development Organisation based in North Parramatta. Basically if you're a writer, a poet, an artist, illustrator, songwriter, filmmaker, screen or stage writer, storyteller, spoken word artist, or indeed a creative of any kind, or if you're a person who values what people on that list actually do and what they create, we have something to offer you. We believe that Western Sydney is an incredibly vibrant, complex and exciting place full of fascinating people with equally fascinating stories. So whether you love telling stories or having stories told to you in any of their forms, we're here for you, and what I would suggest if you have any questions is head to the website, westwords.com.au, and while you're there, I can also recommend that you subscribe to our newsletter. It's a weekly newsletter that Harja puts together that goes through all the new opportunities and the uh, different programs that we're delivering. On today's podcast, we'll meet two of the young artists who Westwards commissioned on behalf of a major new multidisciplinary art project. We'll hear some music from one of them. Uh, one of, who is one of the most exciting new hip-hop acts to come out of Western Sydney in recent years. And we'll bring you up to speed with some of the opportunities available to you, even if you're brand new to the world of writing and storytelling. And we'll also take a quote of the day from Miss Bossy Pants herself, as well as a lot more. So do stick around. In my humble opinion, one of the funniest people in the world is Tina Fey. She's an alumnus of Saturday Night Live as a writer and as an actor. And this is an experience on which she drew in writing a hit TV show, 30 Rock. She also created Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, starring Ellie Kemper. And she was responsible for one of the very best teen movies ever made, in my opinion. Uh, and this is a movie that launched a raft of quotable lines that found their way into my family's lexicon. And of course, I'm talking about Mean Girls. She also wrote an autobiography titled, you guessed it, Bossy Pants. It's a book that found its way onto the New York Times bestsellers list. It was on, I think it was number one for something like five weeks. So today's Tina Fey's 50th birthday, so in keeping with tradition, I went digging for a quote. There's a lot of quotes because, I mean, she wrote a 277-page book full to bursting with great lines. But in the end, I settled on this one. I think everyone's intentions are to become a performer at first. But by the time I was in high school and college, I discovered that I liked writing and that I was probably a little better at it. Like a lot of people at the moment, we're watching a Netflix show called Hollywood. 
Yes, it's flashy and glitzy and dramatic and sexy and almost certainly far more of those things than Hollywood really was in the 50s, but it's still fun to take a peek into the studio backlots during that golden age of cinema. And without wanting to offer too many spoilers, there is a scene where a particular writer is told that for a couple of reasons, the screenplay he's written will still be produced, but with another writer's name on it. He'll still get paid, of course. The film will still get made. The beautiful words that he wrote will still get said, but his name won't appear in the credits. And he is, of course, gutted, as well he should be. So much goes into writing of anything slightly more substantial than a shopping list, so to tell the writer of a major motion picture that their name won't appear in the titles is to misunderstand the investment. So much more than just getting the paycheck, it's exposing yourself on the page. It's the late nights and the missed family events, it's the deadlines and the rebuffs. It's all that and more. So I thought today we'd just have a little chat about the role of the writer. I remember in, uh, I think it was 2007, 2008, somewhere around then, they had the... Uh, the giant writer strike in in uh, in America, and so many of those shows that we loved were either suspended, paused, or even uh, cancelled completely. I mean, it wasn't all dark days. The character of Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad was supposed to be killed off at the end of season one, but in actual fact, because they only got to make seven of the nine planned episodes for that season. They held him over and he became a key and integral part of that story. So I think that it's undeniable and I'm sure that nobody would argue that uh, the writer doesn't have an important part to play in, in life generally, certainly in the entertainment industry. But as a response to this question of what writers do and what they're effectively good for, I'm going to go to someone called Nicholas Connolly. Uh, Nicholas is a, uh, a Jewish-American author, journalist and playwright. He wrote books such as Pale Highway, Interterrestrial and Clay Tongue, a novelette. He's written for a whole bunch of different uh, journals and, and organisations such as Huffington Post and Vox and so forth. And this is what he had to say about what writers do. Put bluntly, what is a writer's role in society? This question goes beyond the simple entertainment value of a good story. It also goes beyond the symbiotic relationship that's experienced between a writer and his or her reader. Not that this symbiosis is unimportant. In fact, for the writer and the reader themselves, that relationship is probably the most important thing. But it's not what we're discussing here. Now, our focus here is on what the writer's role to society is. What does a writer bring to the world that no one else can? My answer is this. Writers and storytellers are the individuals who have designated themselves with the daunting task of recreating the time, place and characters of whatever era they live in. I feel that this is especially the case when it comes to fiction. While an encyclopedia entry about the 1990s might fill in the details, it doesn't paint a picture. A novel written during the 1990s, on the other hand, can definitively show the flavour of the time, the voices that were most important and the subconscious fears that drove that generation's actions. The different fiction genres each demonstrate a unique facet of the writer's society. A horror writer will memorialise the discomforts of his era. A science fiction writer will demonstrate that that era's views on technology, change and widespread social issues. A literary writer will display what mundane everyday life was really like. These genres, of course, can all be combined and so on. By writing a novel, the writer acts to keep their era alive for future generations so that our children and grandchildren can understand who we really were and what we stood for. 
So if you're a creator, ask yourself today, is the work that I'm creating, the writing that I'm doing, is it giving an accurate representation of the times in which I live, the values that are important, the values that need to be improved and the uh, things that need to change? Because I think in addition to just entertaining people, writers have that enormous responsibility as well. We're all familiar with the old saying that a picture is worth a thousand words. Uh, and recently the Sydney Living Museums and New South Wales State Archives approached Westwards for uh, some assistance. Basically, uh, they had a new exhibition that they were planning on uh, putting together called A Thousand Words. And it adopts a philosophy that everyone can interpret history through the lens of their background, experiences, values and aspirations. And unlike a standard exhibition, the images are presented without any kind of traditional curatorial interpretation. So instead, the public were invited to contribute responses, whether emotive, nostalgic or imaginative. And this crowdsourced material became integral to the exhibition. So the Sydney Living Museum approached us and asked us to name 10 emerging Western Sydney artists that could respond to an image that they would get to select themselves from the exhibition. So they were given a whole bunch of uh, archival black and white photos and they were invited to give a response, be it in the form of film or poetry, short story, an essay response or whatever. And the 10 that were chosen were James Alazi, Zoe Ghani, Eunice Andrada, Yamna Kassab, Christina Hyun, Vivian Wei, Ethan Bell, Nadine, Enoch Malangi and Hani Abdila. And uh, if you want to have a proper look at what they came up with, you can go to our website and follow the links there. It's on the front page to go to the Thousand Words exhibition. It was a really exciting opportunity for them. And I had a chance to talk to uh, James Alazi, who was one of our Varuna residents last year, and Nardine, who is a very, very uh, successful hip-hop spoken word poet and uh, singer from Western Sydney. Mount Druitt, I believe. I could be wrong, but I think it's Mount Druitt. And she's been in Triple J Unearthed and so forth. And I had a chance to have a chat with them both. So I'm talking to two of the uh, Western Sydney writers or creators who took part in the Sydney Living Museum Thousand Words project. We've got James Alazi, who isn't new to Westwards, and I'll get to that in just a minute, and Nardine, who is a hip-hop poet and singer from Western Sydney. How are we, guys? Are we well? Really well, thanks. Doing great. Doing great. Excellent. Congratulations on the project. Anyone who hasn't had a look at it should go online and and have a look. And basically the, the premise of the project was that Sydney Living Museum supplied a whole bunch of uh, archival photos and then creators or artists were asked to respond to that. James, now you're a, you're a playwright and uh, you're an English teacher as well, but you're, you're a playwright. You've had work produced in the Sydney Festival and you've taken part in a whole bunch of programs. You're one of our um, residents last year up at Varuna as well. Mm. Tell us about the picture that you chose, the image that you chose. So I chose a man that seemed to be standing in front of uh, a metal kind of shed or a wall and he's looking, he's wearing a suit and he's looking down onto the ground and his gaze is right at the something in front of him. But I think he was sort of, it looked like he wasn't, or didn't want to be um, having the camera take a front, a front picture of his face. So... He just looks a bit, looks a bit kind of um, intimidated or just uncomfortable generally, doesn't he? Really. So, what did you do with that? I mean, I, I find I found this really interesting because, as I said to you when we were talking before we did this, this is something that I do in my own writing workshops: is take a an image that 
has really no other connections and put it in front of the writing students and say, let's just work out for ourselves what's going on in this story. Was that a liberating kind of thing for you? And what did you come up with when you did that? I, I loved it. It was a fantastic sort of exercise for me uh, to, to kind of go in and reshape the idea of that actual picture. Um, and it was great. It was sort of me applying what I know of this, the, the trials and tribulations of migrants coming to the country and applying it to some historical picture, an Australian historical picture. And I felt, how could I, you know, bridge the two and marry the two together? And, you know, migration and you, and the things that they've gone through just fit so well with this, this picture that um, I chose. And I knew immediately that I wanted to do that picture when I saw it. So the, the premise of that, I guess, was that he's a, he's a young man who is sending a photo back to, he wants a photo taken so he can send it back to his family to show what he's made of himself in this new country. He's, he's Greek in, in, the, in the story you wrote. Yeah, he's Greek, yeah. What, what did, and it sounds like an obvious kind of question, but why did you opt to go for a Greek migrant? Was it because of the time? Yeah, specifically the time. If you, if you look back in um, migrant history, I think the Greeks and the Italians from Europe um, came just before, uh, a, like a lot of Lebanese people came um, in '77 and onwards because of the civil war, and so I just thought it would be really lovely to touch to touch that. And I and I was researching just it ha- so happens to be at the time about Greek migration, so I, I thought, well, why not? You know, and he kind of looks a little bit Greek as well, stereotypically. You know, <laughs> stereotypically. Nadine. Um... You took a kind of, well, a very different approach, but it was sort of thematically had similarities, I guess. You're a, a hip-hop artist, and um, we're going to play a little bit of your music uh, in a minute. Actually, before we get on to question, can I just ask you about your bio? Because I, I, I dig your bio. I think it's amazing. You said um, on the Spotify and bio, we don't get to do enough looking into each other's eyes. Hmm. But here we are on Zoom. So how does that work? <laughs> Interesting. I don't actually even remember writing that in my bio. So um, I'm glad you pointed it out to me. Yeah, I think if I was to um, dissect that now, having heard it from my past self saying it, I think that what I mean is that, yeah, connection. I feel like we're lacking a lot of connection. I mean, obviously in this what's happening currently in the world. But just in general, I think we get scared to look each other in the eye, you know? Well, if I can quote you directly, because I've got Spotify open right here. Um, oh. <laughs> no, don't be embarrassed. It's good. Performing is one of my favourite parts about this whole thing because I get to look you in the eyes and we don't do that enough as humans anymore. Now, myself as a musician, I'm missing performing. Are you missing performing as well? So much. <laughs> oh, right. it's, it's, it's all very well to sit in your room and work, but you just want to get out there and interact, don't you? Yeah. You also yes. say, um, also said, here's a line from an old bio, which I like, so I'm keeping. Do you remember this now? It says, as a performer, Nardine okay. displays an unfiltered humanity that allows her to connect with anyone, no matter how complex or cosmic the subject matter is. Uh, that's, um, <laughs> they're big words, aren't they? Um, <laughs> So, so tell us about the theme that you um, that you explored because, and tell us about the image because yours was a little more um, cryptic. I think what was what was your image? Left, left of center, yeah. So the image that I picked was a man. So this is what I saw when I when I first saw the image. It was a man um, with a gun, and he was pointing it at a dog, and 
what I thought was he was about to, like the dog was attacking him and he was about to shoot the dog. That's what I thought. Um, so it looked like he was, yeah, essentially like killing a dog. And later I found out as I was reading the exhibition and the description of the photo that it's actually, it was actually a um, police dog in training. So the police dog was like training to get the gun out of the man's hand. Um, However, at the time that I was, what at at the time that I was asked to, um, to do this project, I was watching um, a world war two documentary on Netflix. It was world war two in color. It was Mm -hmm. really great. And I was just, um, I was, I was obviously thinking a lot about war and the types of, um, the types of mindsets that allow us as humans to essentially kill each other. You know, obviously there were some atrocious things that happened that I don't really need to talk about. We all know what happened, but, Mm. um, for me, it was more like I was what really, and fascinated sounds like the wrong type of word, but what intrigued me was like the mindset, like how does one become um, brainwashed to the point that you believe it's okay to do things like that, or you believe that you're, you believe that you're doing the right thing because that was what blew my mind was that all these um, people that committed these crimes thought they were doing the right thing, you know? You've actually got a line in your piece, if I can just go to it where you talk about in Auschwitz there was a practice that the guards would make the prisoners carry a 50-kilo bag of salt from one end of the large compound to the other. Once they arrived, they were instructed to turn and carry it back the other way, on and on and on and on. So, torture, actual torture. Yeah, and, and just the, the torture is also just the pointlessness of doing it. It's not like you're being forced to build something. It's just for no exactly, reason yeah. at all we're going to make you endure this awful experience. For, pa- for power and for because you you no longer see them as humans and that so that was essentially like when i saw the image um the first thing i thought of was like i wonder if that's how people see um if that's how you're trained to see other people when you're in a war it's like you see them as animals and that makes it okay to shoot them and i was really worried actually about writing this poem like the way it's structured if you go and read it is i do it as a I write it as though it's like a step-by-step guide of how to, you know, how to go to war and how to kill people. And it's like, step one, dehumanize your enemy, which was the first thing mm. I saw when I saw that image. Um, we try not to get too political on, on this podcast, but I'm going to make this point because I think I'm probably singing to the choir for most people listening to this. But you know, mm. when Donald Trump was pointing out people in, in his rallies and saying they're the people that we're talking about they're the ones we have to get rid of and send back he was effectively identifying the other wasn't he i mean what do you make of this james this whole idea of i mean because your 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 story about the migrant man is um it touches on this idea of somebody having to pretend to be someone else i think it allows for um displacement and alienation um Mm -hmm. even within even within a country where you're supposed to feel inclusive and up and we all you know fight for the right to live in a peaceful world. But within that, you're creating, you know, sections. And you don't have to specifically say those words, your actions and the way you carefully, you know, weave in and out. It's, it's sort of, yeah, you're creating the other and, and then us or you and I instead of being, a, you know, as one. 
The other thing in 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 Nadine's piece, we talk about making sure to tally your kills, and you say make it a game. It puts the focus on the numbers and not the humans. And you know, right down to the fact that we use drones these days that are flown by somebody using an Xbox controller back in wherever is sort of part of this, isn't it? Yeah, it's insane. And that was one thing that when I was watching as well the documentary that like you know there would be they would say statistics like um the highest number of kills from this from like this person had ranked as like the highest number of hits or mm. and it's just like we give them props you know for the amount of people they killed which to me is it's bizarre <laughs> yeah. so how would you explain to the photographer that took the photo of the dog attacking the man if they read your piece and and felt that you had gone down a different path to what they intended well i'm, I'm not trying to put you on the same question uh, well the, no, the, no, uh, no, let, let me clar- let me clarify why i asked that question that, that probably sounds a bit kind of like a bit of a gotcha question it's actually not it's just that in your bio and i'm going back to your spotify bio again this is a, this is a whole kind of wealth of stuff <laughs> that, <laughs> that once my music is in your ears it belongs to both of us yeah so i'm going to ask each of you um what's your thinking about this idea that once once the art is out there it's really not yours anymore yeah that's that's what i was gonna say when you first asked me is i would firstly listen and understand and just make sure that i acknowledge that they were feeling that way but then i would also say that um yeah i think as artists you kind of have to be okay with the fact that meaning is really fluid. And yeah, it's funny that you say that because I actually wrote a lyric um, a few days ago that said, I mouth shapes that make sounds, but you make meaning on your own. So even now as I'm speaking, I'm li- my mouth is just making shapes that are making sounds, <laughs> but the meaning is it's still on you and your brain and every experience that you've ever had to interpret the meaning based on how it relates to you. So even as we're speaking, you know, the meaning itself is, it's up to the receiver, the audience to create meaning. So I think as artists, you just kind of have to be okay with the fact that it's going to mean something different to everyone who hears it. James, when the person in your photo, if you were to speak to them or the person taking the photo, how would you respond to what they might say? And do you ever have people completely misinterpret what you've had to say and have had to handle that sort of conflict within yourself? I found that being really specific, the more specific you are, I found, and especially in performance, the more universal the work becomes. I write from like personal experiences, what I've personally been through, and um, and a lot of the time when it's been digested and I've had feedback more so than, than any other time people would usually go, I know what that feels like I've been through this a similar situation. But that sounds, that sounds quite counterintuitive to say that the more specific you become, the more universal it becomes. How does that work? Um, I guess as humans, we tend to, you know, kind of have similar wants and needs. Mm-hmm. And I think no matter some people's journeys are more extraordinary in terms of suffering or, you know, luxuries than others. But I think essentially we all want the same things. And I think, yeah, I think that especially in my work, I've found that, yeah, I, th- I found that the experiences that I've written in my work, a lot of people have resonated with them and reacted similarly to what I thought they, they wouldn't actually. 
I guess that's the great thing about this project. I mean, I, I wasn't eligible to take part, unfortunately, because I would have loved to have, but the idea that you can have... You weren't even given the the photo. You were each given... Uh, how many photos were there? There were a whole bunch, and you could just pick whichever one you wanted to, whichever one resonated and spoke with you straight off the top. For each of you, were these literally the first ones you saw that went made you go, that's the one? Or were they on a short list? So I, I got... Uh, there was a bunch of, of photos. There was about... 15 of them and I literally just, we were given an option to choose which one spoke to you mm-hmm. and I just one immediately. Nadine, was that the one that jumped out at you straight away? Um, to be honest, I can't fully remember. I think that I looked through the hundred and yeah, I was definitely like, as I was looking through, there were a few that were like, oh, maybe this one, maybe this one. And then I saw that one and I thought, I just immediately knew what I wanted to write. That dehumanize your enemy idea popped into my head and it was like, oh, okay, this is the one. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the one of the first playbooks for anyone trying to um, invade and conquer, isn't it? Just dehumanise and take it from there, really. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Take well, it from there. Next one, of course, is um, accuse the press of being the enemy of the people. And we're, that's exactly where we are as well, which is very troubling. Anyway, well, enough politics. Is there enough politics? Is is everything we do as artists political? Do you think? I think I think yeah. I think it is. I think we've got something to say, mm-hmm. um, you know. And we've got we make a medium for ourselves to say it, and it, it, it has to turn into a, like a political kind of. It's not essentially like the government political statement, but it's your political statement. So yeah, I I think in a world like in a world that wants us brainwashed, having mm. your own thoughts and expressing them is in itself just a political statement. Yeah. Well, Nadine and James Alazi, thank you so much for taking part today and and having a chat with me. Uh, and we'll talk again soon. I hope. Thank you so much for um, having me on. Thank you. So as I say, if you'd like to have a look at what these 10 emerging artists from Western Sydney contributed, along with what other people have contributed as part of the same exhibition, head off to uh, westwords.com.au and just follow the links there and you'll get a good look at it. So a couple of very quick things before we wrap it up today. Uh, The Westwords YouTube channel continues to fill with content. So we have our workshops and our interviews, our readings, and we are also in the process of moving a lot of our podcasts, especially our mini Masterwords podcasts, over to the YouTube channel as well. So that if you are somebody who feels a bit funny about podcasting, I doubt that you are since you're probably listening to this on a podcast player right now. But if uh, you had know anyone who would love to get into these uh, mini Masterclass podcasts, uh, we're I think we're up to 13 or 14 of them now. They're still dropping every, uh, every week on the Thursday. And so if you, if you know somebody who'd love to have a listen to those but doesn't have access to a podcast player, then they can just go to YouTube. Our YouTube channel is Westwords Official, all one word, Westwords Official. If you search for that, you'll find us. And there's all that stuff on there, so jump on that. The other thing that I want to mention is that the, uh, the Blake Poetry Prize is still going. I've talked about this lots because there's money. Come on, guys, there's money. Here's $5,000. To write a poem about belief or lack of belief or any of those sorts of, uh, what's the word, existentialist, I guess, existentialist or experiential or spiritual, whatever word you want to use, all of the details are on our website, along with the details for other things like the 
the Poets' Corner and so forth. The Polydactyl Kitten Club uh, is on the 1st of June and we had a bit of a hiccup getting Fiona right there last time. It was not her fault, it was our fault, but she has agreed to come along and do that. So uh, there'll be more details about that uh, available on the website. So before uh, I spoke with Nardine and uh, James for the interview, I asked Nardine whether she'd be happy for us to reproduce one of her songs on our podcast, and she very generously agreed. So thank you to her for that. This is uh, We're going to wrap up the show with this. Uh, it's a song called Weightless by Nardine. You can find it on her new EP that's dropped quite recently. That new EP is called The New Era. So... Until next time, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Remember, as we always say, happy creating. And here's Nardine featuring Stack Hat with a song called Weightless. Thanks. See you next time.